Good evening and welcome to the fifth edition of the quarantine <coughs> hotline. No, sorry, it's, well, it's not the fifth. It's the sixth. So it's been six weeks that we have been calling people to see how they're doing, have a nice chat. Uh, the music, before I forget, that was Gina Valenti and the song is called Schizophrenia. I will then add links when we put the piece on the website. So um, <clears throat> tonight we have uh, a French, well, I mean, not French, someone from France uh, who, who is a really nice friend, friend of mine, Andrew Gallix, who happens to be the editor of the 3AM magazine. Uh, which is, if you don't know 3AM Magazine, I don't know where you've been but for the past 20 years. I mean, it's a really interesting and, and, and groundbreaking journal, uh, literary journal, in the sense that it's probably the first literary blog, and it's been around, I think, since the year 2000. There were 20 this April. Uh, Andrew is also a writer. He is the co-author of a book called Punk, Modernity Killed, every night. We're going to talk briefly about that book. And also is, he's the editor of a, uh, a collection of pieces about Paris, which is called We'll Never Have Paris. It was published last year. I, I had the pleasure of having a, a piece there. And uh, so did many other people that, that, that I know. So it was a, it's a massive book, but it was quite interesting to, to be there. And um, Andrew told me that he's got not the best signal in his house, so we're going to give it a shot. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's the way things are when you do this live. So I'm going to give it a shot, see what happens. At least it's ringing. Andrew, how are you, my man? Oh, well, this is not that bad, the signal. I can hear you well. Well, but just about. Okay, well, if we can communicate. Is it going to be okay, do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. We, we can talk. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah, no, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. And yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I already lost track of the, even the, the, the amount of uh, calls I made, so I don't know. How long? <laughs> you, is, how's the lockdown there? Are you out? Are you, are you, can you go out? Well, yes, yes, yeah. Um, like the, the second to normal. Okay, so, uh, okay, well, here I don't know uh, what's going to happen. Supposedly, today, they were easing the lockdown, but there is a lot of resistance because, you know, you've probably seen the things that they haven't managed the crisis very well here. No, 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 it's, it's been a disaster. Yeah, yeah, it's quite crazy. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Let's forget for half an hour about this madness. So, man, I mean, April 2020 was the 20th birthday of, of the magazine, yeah, of 3AM. That's right. 20 years, yeah. man. 20 years. Yeah. How does that happen? How do you keep a magazine running for so long? Well, I th well actually, the, um, I think the main thing is not to try to make money out of it. <laughs> <laughs> to realise that it's not a business. Um, that, you know, it's not, uh, it's not lucrative. It's not a profession. And then it can work. And I think the other reason also that it's lasted so long is that every editor basically does his or her own thing, you know. You've got to delegate as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise it's just unmanageable, really. Yeah, about this monetary aspect, you know, this is a thing, yeah. that, like I say on my tweet, you know, we, when we decided to launch Minor Literature, so the place we looked at, 
as a kind of inspiration, reference, really, is, yeah. is 3AM, you know, because it was... Uh, now there are many, many more magazines online, but at that moment there weren't that many. I mean, we've been around also for seven years. I mean, there were, but not that many. And I always insisted on this uh, point of not making uh, a pecuniary thing of the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel if you go that way, there is no return, you know what I mean? Yes, and, and, and also I think it's a mistake because it doesn't work. You know, it might, you, you know, you might get subsidies or you might get, you know, funding for a few months or, or even for a few years, but eventually it never works um, because it's just not profitable, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've seen. I've seen many magazines that decided to go that way, go go down, you know, in the, in the last few years, because... Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, you, do you remember a site like Bookslut, for instance? I yeah. Mean, they, they, they were huge, you know, and, and, and they must have lasted about 10 years or 15 years, I don't know, quite a long time, and then they, then they stopped. Um, yeah, I think because people have to move on, you know, in their lives, and, you know, they're not... It's, it's not a proper job, and... Uh, yeah. And how do you handle, because I do get every now and then angry people that pay your authors, kind of, they don't understand the difference between running yeah. an independent volunteer run, uh, yeah. like non-pecuniary thing like 3AM or minor literatures and being the guardian, you know, or, or, or the Huffington Post who yeah. don't pay the blog post, you know. So how do you manage that? I mean, do you get into the argument or because... Well, I, I try to, to avoid the argument, but, but it's true that in particular in recent years, there's lots of authors I, I like and some of them I know, and they make a point of wanting to be paid. You know, they won't publish anything yeah. uh, if, they're, if they're not paid. And I can see the point of view, um, obviously, but, but at the same time, you know, there are certain projects that won't happen if you expect to be paid for them, you know? Yeah, no, I do uh, agree. I do agree you need to be uh, demand pay from the people who have money to pay you, but if it's, I mean, I, I, mean, I do, I, I write a lot for free because uh, if, yeah. it's, uh, if it's a thing I believe in and otherwise it won't happen, you know, I, I don't exactly. mind. Uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. That's what I'm saying because I, I get sometimes the feeling that people tend to, uh, they don't understand that sometimes you need to do things out of nowhere, out of nothing, you know, and that's a pity, yeah. you know, in, in, in this, uh, it's a conversation we had before about this yeah. so-called yeah. professionalization of writing in yeah. which uh, it becomes about almost like having a LinkedIn site more than anything else, you know. I know that there's some, some people who used to write for us, you know, in, in the, the early noughties and who've gone on to become successful journalists, mm. professional journalists. And, and I know that one of them on one occasion, you know, uh, said that um, we were exploitative um, because obviously we were not paying her, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we weren't paying anybody. We're not paying ourselves, you know, uh, mm. and uh, uh, it's a shame, you know, but some people are going to see things that way and uh, there's not much you can do about it yeah the problem i think in the in the sector the, there are indeed many many exploitative publications that that, that really take the, the work they don't credit people enough they they yeah. take money for it you know i mean I, I i lost money with my magazine like for the last seven years and probably you have too oh, you me, know? me too yeah yeah it's I mean, it cost me money yeah. yeah, and what do you decide to get going? I mean, because I tell you from my point of view, when we decided to launch Minor Literature, it was more or less a, the feeling that you, although there were so many great publications out there, there were things that weren't being considered in equal terms, you know? 
and, 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 and that there was an, a kind of a, a part of reality to that. There was also perhaps a part of my own impression of how things are at the moment, you know, but I always uh, thought that for me, it's better to have my own club than trying to join someone else's club, you know? Uh, and and uh, so that was more or less a motivation for it. But what was the motivation for magazine? Because in 2000, 20 years ago, it wasn't that common to, to get involved in this project. No, no. Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, the, the, the first thing is that um, I'd toyed with the idea of launching like a literary journal for, you know, for, for quite a long time before 2000. And it had never seemed really feasible, you know, financially, because it would have been too expensive, I had no money, uh, and, you know, the technology meant that uh, if you publish an issue of a journal, it would come out, you know, six months later or a year later, yeah. uh, and, you know, lots of things in there would be, would be outdated. So, the, the, you know, it's, it's the advent of the internet, really. It, it introduced a revolution in, in, in publishing you know, like photocopying for fanzines. And, and uh, so all of a sudden, the idea of a literary journal just became feasible because it was free, you know. Uh, and so that that's the main reason. And also, of course, my background was in punk. Mm, yeah. And um, I, I, when I was a kid, I, I used to have, you know, I used to make a fanzine. Uh, and uh, so basically, you know, that that DIY punk ethos was something you know that um uh i wanted to bring into the into the the era of the of the web yeah. and for a few years right at the beginning it really felt like a revolution you know uh the, 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 all of a sudden the big newspapers were taking us seriously uh and you know were getting frightened mm. uh it didn't last long you know probably between 2000 and 2003 um there were also these rumours that um, uh, Gordon Brown or people around Gordon Brown read 3M magazine because <laughs> of an interview that we published. Probably wasn't true, but anyway, we believed it. You know, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I did see an article from the mid-2000s, I think, when they wrote in the Guardian that the magazine had disappeared and people were wondering what happened. Yes. What happened? The magazine went down? Yeah, that, that was actually about four or five years ago that was m more recent than, than that no no oh, it was a long no in the before i'm sure i mean i was it? yeah Possibly. it was yeah before i published with the magazine i'm sure yeah yeah oh it, it was really odd because um what had happened is that uh when i launched uh, 3m magazine the website already existed okay and it belonged to an american guy and so he continued for a very long time to belong to this American guy. And eventually he gave it to me, you know, because I'd, uh, the magazine was mine, you know, yeah. I mean, it was my, my, my thing. And, um, uh, and so I, I, the, the, the website remained on the server that um, he had chosen. Okay. And what happened is that the, the server had actually gone out of business. <laughs> And all of a sudden, the site disappeared. Uh, and so there was this whole, you know, um, detective work, you know, uh, other blogs were, were kind of trying to find out, 
uh, what had been going on, and uh, it, it, it was completely mad. Uh, and so what, what had happened is that actually the uh, nobody knew their end that the website was still hosted on their uh, on their server. Okay. Because, uh, they they thought that they'd switched off the the, the, the server. Uh, and so, uh, for a few days, or yeah, probably for a week or so, uh, I thought that everything had disappeared. Oh my god! Yes. Oh my god! What a panic! Horrible. Yeah, yeah. So you had been going for quite a while when that happened. Okay. We had. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. I can imagine the panic. <laughs> I I never ask you, man. This is uh, unusual that I didn't ask you. But why is it called Three AM Magazine? Well, I didn't choose the the name. <laughs> the name had been chosen by this American guy. Ah, okay. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I so I never changed it. So you never knew. You don't know why it's called that, the magazine. <laughs> no, uh, not not really. I, I think it's because you know you associate you know three a.m. with creativity, okay, and, or nightmares, or you know. Oh uh, no, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I know. Cool, man. And, and you, you mentioned punk. I mean, yeah. we, we. I mean, I, I know. I, I've been seeing your posts on the Instagram nostalgia trip. Now you, are, you've been digging out clothes from your, from your wardrobe. Yes. Yeah. You had them I'm, for forty years. I'm throwing them away because actually they. For, for, for quite a long time, I kept them in pristine condition and then I had to leave them in someone's cellar oh. uh, and it was very, very damp and I didn't realise, so they, they've all rotted away. So I'm throwing them away gradually but taking pictures, you know, before I do so. My God. And, and uh, I mean, you were very young, no? When, when punk... I was, yeah. I mean, I discovered punk in 76 and I was 11. Oh my God, man. Uh, and I really got into it, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a big way. Uh, and I went to gigs with my mum uh, <laughs> because I was too too young to go on my own. Was she into uh, music as well or just taking you to the gigs? She, 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 she was also into the music, actually. Oh, nice. I mean, not, not, not as much as me, uh, but she was a big rock fan and, uh, and so she enjoyed it, actually, yeah, quite, quite a lot. Uh, and actually, my dad enjoyed it too. <laughs> In a, in, a, in a way, so I was quite lucky. Uh, I used to go with my mum. My mum used to take me down the King's Road and we used to go to, to Kensington Market together to oh. all, the, all the punk places. I very often went with my <laughs> with my mum. Man, you had a childhood I wish I would I, I had had, you know? It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, when, so when do you move to Paris? Um? Oh, well, uh, initially I moved when I was about seven uh, the first time. Uh, and then I came back to, to London uh, later on and then came back to, to Paris. But most of the, you know, uh, I, I've lived in Paris longer than in, than in London. So from, from the punk point of view, it's actually quite interesting because I really saw things from a French perspective okay. and from an English perspective. <laughs> and that was quite interesting, yeah. I'm actually going to write a book about uh, French punk, okay. the original French punk scene. And I can really talk about it also from, you know, from the inside uh, um, because uh, yeah I was you know wh wherever there was punk activity I was sort of you were involved there on the fringes was know, it what's it a scene that welcomed children because you were a child man 11 year old was, yeah. so it was a scene that you felt welcome because you know we associate punk with drugs excess chaos and yeah, yeah. In, in the early days I mean there were so uh, especially in Paris uh, there were so few punks to, to begin with and then very very few very young punks 
Uh, and so, uh, yeah, they, you know, you know, the older punks tend to, uh, uh, I think, uh, they, they thought I was quite cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> more cute, like know, like, a, like a mascot. Totally yeah, yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. And, uh, and do you, um, you see the movement change from being a quite interesting uh, kind of a spontaneous thing to yeah. become a trend? Uh, Definitely. You yeah. see that yeah. happening, you could tell that it was. Going. Oh, yes. I mean, by, I mean, for me, the um, it kind of climaxed, it culminated during the summer of 77. And after that, it started getting a bit dark and a bit cold. Uh, and it was already kind of the beginning of the 80s. And that was, you know, the, um, yeah, they became a bit dark, lots of drugs, lots of violence. That's when the, you also get Kinghead, yeah, like, like National yes, Front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, sorry, exactly. my, my cat wants to get out of the room. Of course, it will wait until. Oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, the tree, the cat. Yeah, tree, the cat, bastards. Anyway, so uh, okay, so you, you you were you were there for that too when it became a bit darker and more violent yeah. and, and politicized yeah. also, but in the wrong way. Yeah, like. Uh, yeah. And, and actually, the the punk scene in 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 France was extremely violent. You know, in the early eighties. In Paris, you, you were getting into trouble all the time, either with other punks or uh, skinheads, or um, but it, yeah, it wasn't much fun, really. Okay, and uh, and about I mean, you you mentioned about the writing about the punk scene in Paris. Are you yeah. uh, like is that a book you're going to write in French or is it for a French audience? No, or? no, no. I'm I'm going to write it in English because okay. I know that this. I mean, it's very niche, of course, but. Uh, Uh, I know that there is interest in in the UK in particular for uh, in 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 the French punk scene. You know, um, whenever I've written something, you know, pertaining to that, um, there, there's always been a lot of feedback. Um, in, in the punk book I, I published in 2017 on on Zero Books, yeah, there's, uh, there's one one chapter about a, a sort of shadowy. Uh, punk girl band called uh, LUV uh, and uh, more people have spoken to me about that chapter than any other uh, so so I think the the interest is there yeah so you think I mean I, I got into punk music when I was a teenager probably a bit older you know, I must have been 13 14 but that was in the 90s you know in Argentina yeah. I'm maybe younger than you and uh And there was like a revival, at least in the 90s in Argentina, especially led by, you know, the Ramones, who were yeah. like kind of myths in Argentina. You, they, couldn't, yeah. they, they couldn't believe they played Five River Plates, which is, I think they play some of the final gigs to 100,000 people each night, you know, five of them, which is insane. Yeah? They, they played for 100 people in, in, in New York, but 100,000 in Argentina. <laughs> And uh, and um, and there was a punk revival in the 90s, you know, and uh, yeah. and that was like what 30 years ago. So you think there is a renewal of the interest in this period of music now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's kind of being revived all the time, isn't it? Um, and uh, every you know every four or five years there seems to be some kind of revival, and and it's. Uh, I mean, it was so so fertile, you know. I mean, aesthetically and. Musically, ideologically, you know, gender, race—it's um, so rich, you know, that people keep going back to it all the time. You know, yeah. I think it's a, 
Yeah, it's, it's just a permanent reference now. Um, mm. Well, it's, and, and, and about, I mean, you don't, do you write French, anything? Have you published things in French or? You know what? I've only ever published one article in, in French in 1995 about the, the playwright Joe Orton. Okay. Yeah. That's a long time ago. And that's a long time ago. And, that, and that's the, the, um, racking my brain but yeah i think that's the only the only thing i've published in french yeah so yeah. so you're more you're like you belong more in a kind of uh like, like american british uh, i mean anglo-american yes yes circles i am really more focused on <clears throat> on that yeah and that's how the, the, the paris book that's how the paris Sorry. book came, that's how the paris book we published last year came to be in a way like, yes yeah 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 um, Okay. How is it? You know, you, you know the anecdote. Um, you know the, the. I mean, the germ. The the, the idea came from. Uh, I was um, Christiana Spence, who you probably know, yeah, yeah. who's a Scottish writer and uh, artist, and she stayed in Paris. I think in twenty eleven for a few months, and um, we were having a, a drink outside a cafe uh, near Montmartre, uh, and there's um, um, like this typical American, stereotypical American couple, sort of middle-aged, really nice. And um, uh, the, 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 the woman wanted to take a picture of Christiana because she, she thought she looked really glamorous. And the funny thing is that she made gestures, you know, she didn't say anything, thinking that Christiana couldn't speak English. Okay. And so, um, so she took a picture, and, and, then, and then she went away. And um, I kept thinking, you know, th these guys, they're going to go back to deepest Wyoming or, you know, somewhere in, in, in the States, and they're, they're going to show this picture and say, look how beautiful uh, Parisian women are. You know? <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was quite, quite funny. And it, it got me thinking about also, for instance, the number of... Um, English women, uh, I'd seen a, a, an article in the Times about this, um, who were dancers at the Moulin Rouge. Uh, and most of the dancers are not French. Okay. There's only a small minority. So it's quite funny because, in other words, you know, the, that, that fantasy about the French woman, uh, well, French women don't correspond to it, in, in, in fact. And so yeah. I got thinking, you know, about... Paris and, and, and also uh, a it's a very white stereotype isn't it in the sense that people associate yeah. Paris with like a kind of particular vein of uh, French whiteness and then you realize it's such a multicultural city just like London yeah. Yeah. And, and um in terms of I mean the, I mean it's something that always fascinated me you know Paris in the sense you know I lived briefly there in 2002 yes. before yeah. I moved to London and I had to say I felt uh, like I beat the bait all the way to the to the to the fishing rod, you know. I, I wouldn't say to the hook. I beat everything, and I completely bought the myth. And it took me a few years to realize that it was a myth that I was I like, projecting a lot of myself yeah. into this place, you know. And and it took I mean uh, informing and educating myself on, on really by traveling very often to Paris, talking to people who who have their lives there, you know. But I can't help feeling that the myth of Paris is something that Parisians exploit very well as well, you know? They sell it, they, they work on that, you know? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, actually, I mean, the whole you know Hausmanization of Paris in in the uh, in the late nineteenth century um, was, I mean, destined really to create a city for tourists. Yeah. Uh, for foreigners, you know, for, for rich Americans, and, really. And to expel the poor, yeah, from the... the and, and obviously, yes. This, the and, old and neighborhood. to expel the poor, yeah, and, and the threat of revolution, yeah. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, in my case, Paris, you know, is a, it has a strong uh, kind of uh, mythical place in the kind of music of Argentina, in tango, you know, there's always... Yes, uh, yes. They always say, oh, but it sounds so French, you know, so Parisian, you know. And uh, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, anyway, it's, a, it's such a fascinating topic. So this is what you set out to explore in uh, we'll, always, we'll, never, sorry, we'll Never Have Paris. Yeah, it's a, yes. a kind of trying to unpack and work against the myth. Yes, that's, that, yes, that's right. Um, I mean, the, the, there were two things, really. First of all, um, I instead of writing yet another book about um, the reality of Paris, for an anglophone readership you know and you, you you get dozens of books every year about that on that subject mm. i wanted to do the opposite you know i wanted to explore the myth of of, of paris um and the the um uh, yeah that, i mean that that was the main uh, the, the main the main idea really behind uh, behind the book and is it well received because you know you are working against like a deeply ingrained kind of romanticized idea exactly. that people might react a bit like like yeah. how, how do you feel the readers feel that because the target will be anglo-american public yeah yeah exactly well i do i do think that um there probably was a degree of disappointment uh on on the part of some some readers i, I know that there's a there's a bookshop in paris um, where um, I, I was told by the owner that quite a few American um, people who pick up the book, you know, they're not too happy when they, they realise it's not going to, to confirm, you know, the, uh, <laughs> what, they, what, what, what they were looking for. And the, the other thing, yes, I, I forgot I was, I was about to say concerning that book is that I also realised that to a great degree, um, um, English speaking writers have uh, shaped the way Paris is seen all over the world, you know? Very yeah. often when people think of, you know, bohemian literary Paris, they think first and foremost of Hemingway. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah they yeah. think of Shakespeare and Company, they think of Joyce, you know, they think of Beckett. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, that's sort of another thing that I wanted to try to explore in, in the book. Yeah, in, in a way, it's like a kind of reverse Orientalism, you know, where they, you yes. know, they produce, the foreigner produces this idea of a place, and then the place yes. takes uh, the idea and, and sells it back to the foreigner, you know. And, uh, yeah, exactly. So it's, I, mean, I always found it fascinating when I realized, you know, I, uh, I, I had been fooled by the myth of Paris. I, it was a bit too late and I had written a terrible novel that is somewhere in my, uh, <laughs> in my computer that I've been trying to work. I mean, you, you, you've seen the, the one great tropic. I, I, yes, yeah. oh, well, that's an attempt to exercise all the myth of Paris in a book, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. I think it works in that way, but it works, it but, does, but yeah. I do have to go back to that novel because it's so bad that it probably would be good laughing material. So, man, what is the future for the magazine? What are you planning to do? Keep it running? Retire yeah. at, at, at 50? What, what is... Uh... Retire at 50? Uh, well, I think, it, w w will I still be alive? Uh, 30, 40, yes. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, the days of having plans for 3M magazine <laughs> are kind of over, I think. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy it exists. And I'm happy that it continues to attract, you know, very talented um, people and editors like Joseph, for instance, oh, he's great, Stephen, and Stephen in poetry. But yeah, yeah, there's always been a then. there's always been a good crew there, so I'm sure you're gonna find and keep it. Uh, and, and I get the impression that you, you were part of it. I I was, but yeah, right. I, I don't call myself among the talent. I was just very lucky and I enjoyed myself. Uh, I, I, I do. I can't be among them. Thank you. I had good fun there. I mean, it's always been. We need to make more parties. Not, 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 not that it's easy now, but when no, we, no, no. When but we yeah, can we come should. back. Yeah. Listen, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I think we, we're going to leave it there so we keep it yeah. short and, and, uh, and keep, keep the magazine going. Congratulations on the 20 years. So we're saying happy birthday, yeah? And good luck with, with the punk book from Paris. Take care, mate. Good night. Take care. Bye, Andrew. Cheers. Bye. Great, that was Andrew Gallitz. Many, many people. It's a huge book. You're going to get uh, for, I think, £10, £12. You get like a 700 pages book with essays, fiction, poetry, everything. And it's a very, very interesting book. So, uh, right. So, what can we tell you? Well, this Friday, I'm going to do an exceptional Friday call. We normally do this call on Monday. We're going to have a, a poet from uh, Kuwait who now lives in the USA called Mona Karim. Uh, she's a, um, a friend of mine from Twitter, let's say, and I admire her work very much. So I'm going to give her a call. I haven't decided a time yet, but we'll figure that out. And anyway, I hope all of you are well, you're staying healthy and mentally strong because it's a really strange times. But anyway, I leave you with some music. As usual, I would paste links to the, to the albums I'm playing. This is a song called Llegan los Cuerpos by Maitreya, also from Argentina, like yours truly. So I'll leave you with that and speak to you on Friday. Take care.
See you next time. Take care.